Today's sermon comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verses 1 through 3, and verses 14 through 25. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and summoned the elders, the heads, and the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord." Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord, our God, who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight. He protected us all along the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed, And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you. And incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and him we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and made statues and ordinances for them at Shechem. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My friends, it's a delight to be with you in worship, and for those of you streaming at home, it is a delight to be with you in spirit. As you keep hearing, we do have some people here in the sanctuary today. We are in the phase two of our guidelines for reopening for in-person worship, which allows us to have 20 people at a time in the sanctuary. Invitations are going out weekly to various groups of people in our congregation. We always like to try to get a diverse group. And we're also interested in hearing from you if you're interested in helping us by volunteering. For when we open up to fuller and more people, we're going to need a lot more help than we have now. 
So just email Reverend D. Stone at dstone at peachtree.org if you want to be on that list of volunteers. And rest assured, we are going through every list we can to make sure everyone has a chance to be in the house and worship with us in this space. But it is good for those of you who could be here today to be here with us. And I'm so very pleased to see all your smiling faces. I know they're smiling because look at this. Anyway, let us pray. Creator God, we are thankful for the life that you have given us. We confess that we haven't always treated that gift so well. We have been wayward and unwise. But even though as a people we've walked away from you, we also confess and believe that you sent your Son Christ to reconcile us to you, to cultivate in us a desire for your ways beyond our ways, and we are so grateful for the gift. Similarly, we confess and believe that you have sent your Holy Spirit to us to be a counselor and friend, to make us into a body called a community and a community of care. Send your Spirit freshly in this hour for you, and I know that without you, I can do nothing. Whoever hears my voice, may they hear your Spirit using the words from this book of Joshua to plant something new in our lives that bears much fruit. It is in the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray, and God's people everywhere say, Amen. When I was in grade school, I met a friend who lived up the road from me, and I was allowed finally, after knowing him a little while, to walk up there and play with him. I went to his front door for the first time, and I saw a door knocker, and it had this little inscription on it that stuck with me. It was an inscription from Scripture, from Joshua, to be precise. It said, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. I thought that was pretty wonderful. At that time, I was a church kid. We went to Sunday school, we went to Sunday worship, we went to Sunday evening worship, we went to Wednesday night youth group, we were always at church, and so I thought, these folks who live here, they're like my people. They let me inside, and I started spending time not just with my friend, but his whole family, and I got to see how they lived life, and then I started wondering, every time I saw that sign, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord, we will serve the Lord, I wondered what it meant to them. They didn't appear to me to be Christians. At least they talked differently and had a different sense of humor and maybe said words that we didn't say. And and then I started noticing that they also didn't go to church. What's more, as I heard their mom and dad talk at the dinner table, I found out they voted for the other person. And certainly in my naive and young theological mind, you couldn't be a Christian and vote for the other person can assure you that's a silly notion, but I know many people have that and people older than I was at the time. I wondered what it meant to them. To me at the time, I could only understand it as maybe this kind of a bit of personal feeling, expression, just to share with people what's valuable to you. Maybe like you would hang a poster in your room or one of those campaign signs in your lawn, just letting everyone know where you stand on something, but not much else than that. That's not all. There's much more going on in that phrase, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But to get to that, let's think about who the people are that Joshua is speaking to. These were the ancient Hebrews. And they started, at least their trek toward this 
entrance into this holy land. They started as slaves in Egypt. And God, through the, the work of Moses, set his people free. And from the narrow space, he led them out into the wilderness. And they became nomads and wandered for a generation, eating and living by the Lord's provision, thinking about the time they would get to receive this land that God promised them. A land that's been called Canaan, it's been called Israel, it's been called the Holy Land. It's a land to be said, a flowing with milk and honey, a great agricultural place that can sustain the people. And now Joshua is giving them a final speech. This is a, frankly, a tough part of Scripture because it's often called the conquest of Canaan or sometimes the Canaanite genocide. The idea is that God tells the people of God to go in and clear everyone who lived there already, clear them out. It's a tough passage or a tough text and area of Scripture to deal with as a Christian. And Christians and interpreters have been trying to figure it out for generations. The medievals allegorized it and people today say, well, there's other ways of reading it. I can tell you this, it almost certainly didn't happen, the genocide that is, for even in Scripture's own testimony, as the people of God went into this land that wasn't theirs, they had surrounding neighbors who were not Israelite, not Hebrew. The people were still there. And that became a difficult temptation for the people of God. You see, what was tempting was these other people had their own gods. And that often, for the people of God, if you read the Old Testament carefully, served to pollute the faith that they had in the God that led them out of slavery. We like to teach people that Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are the great monotheistic faiths, the faiths that believe in one God, as opposed to more ancient faiths that were polytheistic, where there were many gods. You might think back to high school or junior high when you studied about the Greek gods or the Egyptian gods. That's polytheism. But the ancient Hebrew people practiced something called monolatry. They're not really practicing it. It's more of a way of seeing things. You see, these ancient Hebrew people believed that there was the possibility of many deities. Other countries had other deities, other people groups had other deities, maybe families had their own personal deities or regions of the earth. The difference for them was is that they saw their God, the one who led them out of exile and led them out of slavery, their God was at the top, the most powerful God, the most loving God, the most gracious God, the best God. Still, Joshua contends to them. You cannot, you must not serve the God of the Hebrews, the God of us, and other gods. But I submit to you, it's tempting for these ancients to construct ornamental etages in their house and put different deities in it, depending on what your needs were. The God of the harvest, the God of the seasons. Just think about it. Your people were nomads for a generation out in the wilderness, out in the desert. They probably don't have a whole lot of natural agricultural skills. And now they're in an agricultural land. I can imagine one such Hebrew walking out, surveying his land and seeing a very paltry harvest. And just on the other side of the fence, one of the Canaanite brothers that he's gotten to know, he's a nice guy. They wave in the morning at each other. His land is booming and 
lush. The harvest is plentiful. So he walks over the fence and leans on the fence pole and says, what am I doing wrong? How, how do you do that? And instead of simply just giving irrigation advice or soil amendment advice, this Canaanite would talk about his gods. You've got to coax the god of the sky to come and make the god of the land fertile. And next thing you know, bit by bit, perhaps the Hebrew who is wanting to serve the god who's led them from slavery is now sometimes giving devotion to another god. Remember what Joshua said? No other gods. You cannot. I know our world isn't really like this anymore. We probably, if we believe in a God, we're probably a part of a monotheistic faith. We believe that ours is the one true God. Or maybe we don't believe in anything of the divine. That's kind of what the modern world gives us. But let me suggest to you, though we may not be tempted with big gods, we're all tempted with worship of small gods. What is a god? I submit, whatever you give an inordinate attention to, whatever you obsess over, whatever you spend time, talent, and treasure on, whatever you love, whatever you trust, whatever you put your total trust in, these can be small gods, and they are a plenty in our world. We all sit in this space, this shadow of an election, a very fraught election. And it calls to mind how I think many of us make a God out of our nation. We've actually equated our nation in political speech to a city shining on a hill. Where have I heard that? Oh, that scripture for the church and the work of the church. It's different. Sometimes it's really easy to see that we place our faith in a politician or a political party. You hear some thinking that when one person is elected, the problems are going to be fixed and we will be saved. Or if the other person gets elected, then it's absolute disaster. Nothing will help us. If that's your outlook, I submit that maybe we're making a God out of such people and such powers. Or it is God alone who rules the world. And it is God's world to save. I was listening to a radio program this past week. A guy called in and he was looking for advice. And my advice to you is never call radio, morning radio people for advice. They just don't seem that wise to me with all their zany music and noises in the background. But nevertheless, this guy called for advice. He said, my brother and I haven't spoken since March. Y'all remember what happened in March? That's when everything was starting to shut down because of COVID-19. You see, his brother had a different interpretation of what he saw on the news than he did. His brother also leaned politically one way than he did, and they got into a fight. They got into a nasty fight. They said things to each other, and they agreed that they could no longer be in relationship any longer. If you lose a relationship over partisan earthly politics, perhaps they have become a small god to you. One of my favorite small gods 
that we worship in our world is the market. Because the language is so obvious to me. What do we talk about when we talk about the market often? The invisible hand. What sounds divine? And here's the thing, we train these folks called economists, the priests of the market, who never really exactly know what's going to happen. We have this trust or fear of the invisible hand. What's more is we make moral calculations and judgments and we accept wars or we deny other good things. Not, wars are not the good things. We deny some good things because it's good for the market. Careful. There are gods aplenty. But the one I'm about to share with you is probably the most controversial god that I think Americans really worship, and that is the family. The family is good. But we have entire ministries in the world of Christianity that are, that are devoted to serving the family, and I think that's probably good if we're always asking the question, how can our family serve God rather than what I think as so often goes, how does God serve my family? What does it mean to say, as for me and my house, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord? Almost assuredly, if we put our families to the service of God, it would change probably the way we do our planning of activities and our calendar and maybe the way we spend money and certainly what we talk about at home. Does our family exist to serve God and God's purposes in this world, or do we want to bend God to serve the purposes of our family? Last but not least, because we have many small gods in our world, is the ego. And I know when I say the word ego, we have all kinds of notions and ideas about people who are maybe a bit too big for their britches, but the ego isn't a bad thing. It's part of your psyche. It's part of you. It's that when it's inordinately attended to, that it takes over. If you feel like you have to be right and other people have to be wrong, you might be giving too much credence to the ego. And it happens in all kinds of nasty and nefarious ways, but there are subtler ones too. There has been a countless amount of times where I've seen the countenance on my, mom, my, my, pardon me, my wife's face and it seems like maybe something is wrong. And I ask her if something's wrong only to then say, did I do something wrong? And countless times she's looked at me and said, no, and it's not really always about you. Assuming that it's all about you is also a sick part of the ego too. Think about how unnerving life is when we think this way. It's because we're serving a false God. And I hear Joshua today I hear Joshua in a time right now where our country is struggling with attending to different ideas and different people and parties. And I hear Joshua speak to a church that shouldn't play into those games. So I hear Joshua as a good check and balance for each and every one of our souls every day. Are there big gods or small? Is there any other thing in our life that rivals our devotion to our God and to what God wants for us in this world? Let it be a check to you as you analyze your life this week so that you can serve the Lord and be about the Lord's work in spite of what the world looks like, in spite of what the news says. 
in spite of the divisions. You would then be a person who says, guess what? We're going to make room for everybody at God's table. We're going to build bridges, not knock them down. We are going to love and not hate. We are going to embrace and empathize, not be right first. Oh, you would do a lot of things following the Lord. It would take you to the path of righteousness and joy. As for me and my house, we are going to try to serve the Lord. And hope you do too.